HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with John Mackey, better known as the founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. And I'm assuming if you've shopped anywhere in the U.S., you have encountered one of his amazing supermarket establishments. And what's wild is in, in reading into your history and the history of Whole Foods Market, it's kind of like my life because it was actually born a month after I was, uh, September of 1980. How many years were you just a single entity, a single market in Austin, Texas? I mean, I always think of the company actually as being older than you because the same company it is today was first born as Safer Way in 1978, in September 1978, which was in an old house. And we had a vegetarian store on the first floor in a vegetarian cafe on the second floor. It was a very, and, a, and an office on the third floor. My girlfriend and I lived in, the, lived in the, literally lived in the store on the third floor. And that was a very pure store. I mean, we didn't, it was vegetarian, so we didn't sell any meat. We didn't sell any sugar. We didn't sell any white flour. We didn't sell any alcohol. We didn't sell any coffee. And uh, we actually didn't do very much business. <laughs> you didn't pro- sell, We didn't period. sell much of anything, exactly. And so then two years later, we relocated the store, merged with another company, changed the standards to be a little more friendly. And uh, uh, Whole Foods took off from that point. So the birth of the company was in 1978. The birth of Whole Foods as a brand was 1980, one month after you were born. And within that stretch, Americans have spent half as much time as cooks as they did when you started. Um, Why that trend? What's that dynamic? Yeah, I think the trend has primarily been uh, the empowerment of women. They are, they're professionals and they're moving 
powerfully into the world and taking leadership positions. And it's kind of a badge of honor of many young women I meet to say they don't cook and they don't know how to cook. And men aren't necessarily picking up the slack. So, you know, you've heard that expression, dink, double income, no kids. I think you could say dinks are alive, but double income, no cook. Uh, And so people just eat out more and more and more and they cook less. And that's, uh, you know, I mean, it's... uh, when our first store, our first Whole Foods market back in 1980, about 30% of our sales were uh, produce, and about 20% were bulk foods, primarily not candy, which we barely sold any, but bulk grains and beans and, and sort of the commodity foods that people would cook. And our bulk foods now are down to like 2% of sales, and people are not buying whole grains and beans to cook for the most part. Yeah. How well do you know your customers or how do you interact with them in a way to understand how they cook at home? Uh, well, um, of course, our marketing team is not here to give you the detailed answer, but we do, we do study our customers. We do, we do interact with them, but only information that people are vil- willing to volunteer for us. And so we do develop, develop a profile and it, it does uh, it does vary a lot from different parts of the country. So it's one generalization about our customer doesn't really, um, you know, you can't get to the truth when it's so diversified. I will say that our customers are primarily very well educated. That's the real common denominator. Our percentage of college graduates or those with some college or advanced degrees is very high. Income follows from education as a general rule. And, but then you might not be surprised that the people that might shop our stores in, say, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, are different than the people that might shop our stores in Brooklyn or Berkeley, California. So it's very, very different. Yeah, at nearly 500 locations, a uh, recent merger with Amazon, uh, Whole Foods 365, all these different arms to the, to the business, mm-hmm. um, I feel like your ideology and ethos has stayed the same from you know, that little two-floor uh, vegetarian, mm-hmm. you know, produce store and cafe. Um, and that's reflected in this book because we're here to celebrate a cookbook that you've written, uh, 120 delicious and healthy plant-centered recipes. Plant-centered. Let, let, let's kind of use that as an overarching theme of our discussion. Um, what's so important about produce first? Well, first, just to clarify, uh, we'd like to think the book is... 100% whole foods, so there's no processed foods in it, it, and there's no refined grains, there's no oil, it's 100% whole foods, and then it's all the recipes are 100% plant-based, although we do indicate a few places if you want to add animal foods, you could, but the recipes themselves are 100% plant-based, and we think 100% healthy and 100% delicious. So now, your question about, uh, what was the question, I'm sorry, about plant foods that you wanted to oh just just using that as an overarching theme for the rest of our conversation why is that such an important and uh, majority part of this cookbook and whole foods moving well, forward? we think this is the companion book for a book that i co-authored uh, that came out uh 18 months ago called the whole foods diet when we sold the publisher we did a two book deal with them it's a grand central publishing so this is, uh, this is the cookbook which supports the whole foods diet. It's consistent with the philosophy in the whole foods diet. So we think, I mean, the reason we wrote this book ultimately is because we think what people eat 
has a huge impact on their overall health and longevity. I think the science is very clear that eating a whole food, I mean, Michael Pollan said it pretty well, eat, you know, basically eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. And that's kind of the philosophy of our book here. We want you to eat real food. Stop eating all this junk, processed junk food. You're poisoning yourself. And eat mostly plants because the science is very clear that the people that live the longest, the blue zones people, are they're 90% plus plant-based. So can you eat a little bit of animal foods and be healthy? Yes. Can you make build your diet around animal foods and be healthy and live a long time? The answer basically is no. So, yeah, that's why we're emphasizing plant foods. Fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans and legumes, little nuts and seeds. Those are the foods that really uh, nourish our bodies. I want to go back to this point of empowerment because you're also empowering people to cook at home again. Um, and that does a lot, not just for, you know, women or dinks, but by prepping your own meals and being in your own kitchen, it's very different than ordering in having pre-made meals. Um, how does that nourish not only your body, but your soul in a different way? A great question, Michael. I mean, I, I am, I love to cook myself and even though I'm a super busy guy uh, and I, I, cooking for me is fun and it's therapeutic and, and providing food and and then inviting friends to share it. Uh, it's so fun. It's so satisfying. It, it, it nour- The whole higher purpose of Whole Foods, as we state, is to nourish people in the planet. And nourish is this very wonderful word because it, it partly implies food and how we nourish ourselves. But nourishment goes beyond food to love and care and and I think cooking is a way to love people and it's a way to take care of them and take care of yourself and take care of your families. So as we get in this busy world where people are so busy, they're neglecting something that is deeply, I think, in our in our cultural history and is important for the keeping our families and friends sort of connected and nourished and healthy. It's just a gift. When I cook, I always feel like I'm I'm, I'm giving something to other people, and frankly, that's why we started Whole Foods in the first place, was to sell healthy food to people and help nourish people. I think those guidelines are there in the cookbook as well, uh, from simply saying foods that you can eat freely to foods that you should mainly avoid. Uh, just laying it out there at the beginning, again, what that ethos of Whole Foods is within this cookbook. Um, are there recipes that kind of encapsulate, signify the greater story or greater idea of Whole Foods in this book? If there was one to point out that was both, again, uh, nurturing of the mind, body, and soul, what would it be? I think all the recipes, uh, firstly, I'll dodge the question initially by (laughs) by saying that I think there isn't one recipe that stands out. I think they all sort of do that. Uh, If you're asking me some of the restaurant uh, uh, recipes that I personally really like and... and, uh, so one that's easy to make that I think super uh, super nutritious and tastes great is the uh, pesto linguine that uh, uh, pesto linguine with lots of greens. That's actually the title of the recipe. And so you're making. Uh, we usually you, you can do a gluten free pasta. Like my wife tries to avoid gluten, so we're doing a lot of like brown rice pasta. And then you make a pesto that's. Uh, it's not going to have Parmesan cheese in it since it's plant-based, but uh, it's going to have uh, a, a pine nuts and basil and it'll have nutritional yeast, and, and it's, uh, it's super delicious. And then you add a lot of greens to it, like uh, spinach and kale, 
and it's just delicious and it's very easy to make. Another one is the um, we have a vegetable, basically uh, lots of vegetable chili. So you make a chili, so it's got all the spices and seasonings of any chili that you would love. It's going to have some beans in it to give it a heartiness. And then it has a ton of vegetables in it, which, I mean, I think eating more vegetables is one of the most important things we can do to improve our health. So in both the, in the linguine and the chili, we're getting super flavorful meals and the vegetables are packed in there and they're all delicious because they have the seasonings that go along with it. So with the chili, you can vary the vegetables and uh, you can vary the beans. So you, you can have this very delicious food that's just super nutritious and healthy. And it's not about like reconceptualizing dishes so we don't understand their entry point. Uh, again, you say something like lasagna and it, it is not of your Brahminized bleached white flour right. pasta. Um, you even say something like a veggie burger. And yes, we yep. know burgers and there have been veggie burgers for years, but how you recontextualize some of these recipes is very interesting. Yeah. So we're giving food that are familiar names in a lot of ways, like the pesto and the chili or the another one. I happen to really like the, the Greek burger that has the dill hummus in it. It's a, it's a tremendously flavorful burger and one I definitely recommend uh, people try to get the cookbook. And then you've got this dill hummus, which also makes the hummus a little bit different and very interesting. And it's a, it's a, it's a very flavorful burger and super, super nutrient-dense. Of this essential eight, this guide of the yeah. eight kind of food groups that you've yeah. defined for this cookbook, are there any that you have aversions to tend to stray away or that you can't live without day-to-day? I eat, I eat the essential eight every single day. I really I do. So you've got whole grains and starchy vegetables forming the basis for our, our, our calorie base. And then you've got beans and legumes. You're going to have um, berries because I think of all the fruits, berries are the most nutritional dense. Then you have other fruits. And then we've got three, three other kinds of vegetables in there. You're going to have the, uh, you're going to have the non-starchy vegetables. You're going to have the you're going to have the greens, and uh, why am I drawing a blank? On well, one? I'm happy I get to actually say this one because it's my favorite, cruciferous. Oh, yes, cruciferous, <laughs> absolutely the most, the, the cruciferous with that strong anti-cancer properties to it that we know, so broccoli and kale and cauliflower, and the cruciferous vegetables are vegetables that have kind of been neglected, cabbage, uh, Brussels sprouts, but if you're looking at food trends, I mean, cauliflower is just one that's really caught on from buffalo cauliflower to cauliflower mash to... Uh, we have a great cauliflower recipe in there that's uh, taking a cauliflower and cutting it in half and then having this wonderful, almost like a, a, a red sauce on the, on the as you bake it. It's really delicious, one I'd recommend. Yeah, I do see the trend of that whole roasted cauliflower happening yeah, a lot. exactly. And not to jump forward into that roasting slow and low section of the cookbook, but I also love that you're reestablishing the idea that veg- vegetables or vegetarian cooking can be a main um, because within that too there's a celeriac pot roast yeah. um, and you know with so many holidays that revolve around a big roast or a big piece of meat as a main dish um, it's such a great alternative to offer people i think so although when you move away from the starchy vegetables as a main so to speak there is a question of getting enough calories 
So if you're going to, vegetables are so not calorie, they just don't have many calories in them unless you move the, the starchy vegetables. I mean, like a pound of vegetables on average has about 90 to 100 calories. To get 2,000 calories a day, if you only ate vegetables, you'd have to eat 20 pounds of vegetables or you'd begin to starve to death. No one can eat 20 pounds of vegetables in a day. So I think we are making, we're moving away from the traditional thinking that you have to have a protein or animal protein in the center. But we do have to be concerned if you're eating a whole foods, uh, plant-based diet and you're not eating oil because that's not a, that's not a whole food, then getting enough calories becomes an issue. And one of the ways you do it is making sure that you have some starch foods pretty much in every, uh, in every meal. So let's, let's talk about from a global sense, um, what cultures, what cuisines have innately done that for years that might be reflected in this cookbook? I would argue all of the traditional cultures are built this way, every one of them. If you think about, like, in uh, Mexico or South America, you're going to have a, uh, they're going to be corn, beans, and squash in Mexico, and then maybe you're going to get uh, some rice and some, you know, in Costa Rica, they're going to be uh, rice and beans and some corn and salsa along with that. And, and if you go to the other places you're going to have some type of whole grain uh, or sweet potatoes as a starchy vegetable or potatoes forming the, the the major starch base and then you're going to add some kind of legume to that that's been i mean the animal foods have not been prevalent in most of the diets because they were expensive people and they weren't vegans but they were because animal foods were expensive they were only you know eating them at feast times if you study like the blue zones uh, Dan Butner's amazing work, and those five different blue zones around the world that are the longest-lived peoples in the world, their diets are remarkably similar. They're eating primarily a plant-based diet, about 90% plants and about 10% animal foods. They're always going to have, if you ask Dan, what do they have in common? They all eat a lot of vegetables, and they all eat beans. That's what they, all, that's what they have in common. And it's, so the, every one of the major... Uh, um, traditional diets is built around those type of foods with animal foods being expensive and an add-on it's only the diets we eat today are not historically common because we eat this incredibly high fat rich diet that our four our forefathers our ancestors primarily did not eat well we're going to take a quick break come back yeah. and actually just talk about a big old pot of humble beans oh, you can yeah. listen to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org This program is brought to you by Jewel Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Jewel user. I use Jewel to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual dentist guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions, making it easy to cook for a crowd, and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip, Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Jewel makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. 
That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code H-R-N. Welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Whole Foods founder and CEO, John Mackey, talking about their new cookbook. And in that, let's talk a little bit more about beans, because the contrast, not even contrast, the commonalities of these two recipes were just such a great link. Uh, the gallo pinto, which are simple beans and rice from Costa Rica, and a wicked good pot of cassoulet beans. Yeah. Um, it just shows the wealth and diversity in which you can prepare such simple ingredients. But what resonates with you about these gallo pintos or uh, this these cassoulet beans? I have to admit that it, when people ask me what my favorite food is, which you haven't asked me yet, I, I, it's beans. I love beans. And the sad thing is, is people say, oh, I can't eat beans. I can't digest them. And that's because they are, A, may not be cooking the beans correctly, but also because they haven't cultivated the gut bacteria they need to digest the beans, which uh, if you are eating primarily a high animal foods diet, you probably don't have those bacteria in your guts. They're, they're, they're in small quantities, and so you have, to, you have to build up your gut bacteria in a sense to be a, a good digester of beans. And I do. I eat beans every single day. I, love, I never had a bean I didn't like. And I love the fact that we're now living in this era where we have all these heirloom beans that are, are that are uh, that I get to experiment with. And so, I mean, those recipes in the book, the two that you named, are very easy to fix. They're super nutritious and they're incredibly delicious. I mean, the traditional um, uh, Costa Rican. Uh, uh, beans and rice dish is so easy to make, and you never get tired of it. You can simply eat it every day. So uh, I really do think beans are, and the, the resistant starch that's in beans uh, also means that beans are full of fiber, full of protein, uh, and they and they and they even the calories they have aren't completely absorbed, meaning they're actually a tremendous weight losing. Uh, uh, a device in our food if you are looking to lose weight. So, yeah, we have lots of recipes with legumes in it, superfoods in my opinion. I know the mantra of Whole Foods is about Whole Foods eating, but it's also delicious food eating. You know, you can't get past the fact that you want to eat something that tastes good. Not that, you know... If it doesn't taste good, people won't continue to eat it, So then Ethiopian lentils and Indian chickpeas. Um, I, again, think these are two you know, very similar but varying uh, recipes that give people a breadth of knowledge of how to cook from so many different cuisines, again, with very simple, humble ingredients. One of the interesting things, Michael, of the world today is we have a world cuisine that hasn't, if you could look at the history of the planet, we've never had access to world cuisine before. When I was a kid growing up, ethnic foods in Houston, Texas, back when I was a kid were pizza and uh you know tacos that was about it so that was it that was that was walk really way out there and you do have pizza and taco nights in this book but we'll get to that eventually <laughs> well we do but we also as you point out we have uh we have we have a great diversity from ethiopia to costa rica to and we have this world cuisine and it's actually fascinating to me is that the cuisines are beginning to mate with each other and have children they are uh, spinning off new diversity of types of foods where you're combining different uh, traditions. So it's, it's, you know, you can have like if uh, Indian food, they don't have tofu in Indian food, but 
you can make delicious tofu that has Indian spices in it. And there really no, historically, there was never any Korean barbecue in the world. And that's, uh, that's combining different cuisine types together. So we're having this, we're in this era right now where there's never been this type of food diversity and, and the new innovation that's occurring by our talented chefs around the world and that are, that are inspired by these different cuisines. It's kind of like music mixing together that's jazz inspires rock, which inspires, which moves into uh, uh, hip-hop, and you end up with this incredibly interesting uh, diversity of music styles. Well, the same thing's happening with food. It's just, it's never been a better, if, you're, if you love food, there's never been a better time to be alive than right now. This may be a stretch of an analogy, but I often see this in dressings. Uh, you go to you know, make a salad or go to a salad bar, you see this swath of different kinds of dressings. And in your book alone, you have cashew ranch, citrus miso, uh, strawberry chili. And to me, that says American, Japanese, and Mexican. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fascinating fusion of different, uh, different uh, ethnic eating styles, but with new flavor combinations, perhaps never even experienced before. It's pretty cool. So what... Other recipes in this book do you think are not only a carrier for delicious food, but for new, innovative, and hopefully worldly ideas? Um, if you had the book handy, which I do. Of course, carried in the Whole Food bag. Oh, here we go. <laughs> carried in the Whole Foods bag, of course. Where else would I put it? Um, you know, I have to I have to admit that the I have my bias myself to to wellness bowls, I think bowls are like, that's kind of a new idea that's caught on in the last decade or so. So uh, these wellness bowls give you a huge different types of, uh, lots of lots of vegetables are going to be showing up in the wellness bowls, and they usually have some kind of bean and some kind of starchy vegetable, and then you have different spices and different combinations of it. So bowls are endless diversity. You can just invent new bowls all the time. I'm pretty sure Chad and Derek invented these bowls for this because they'd never cooked any of this stuff before me before we wrote this book. Um, and also, I'm a big believer in uh, sort of the, uh, the one-pot meals where you're doing these things. And that's, I think, for the modern people today to be able to have this one pot that has sort of this complete diversity of food in it. So some of the one-pot meals like, uh, well, the veggie-loaded chili, and I already mentioned that one before. I love that one. Um, uh, the curry, chickpeas, collards, and uh, rice. Again, we're marrying different types of cuisines there, but that's got everything you need. That's like a, almost a, that's everything you need. And if you, you're looking at the eight essential foods groups, you've got almost all of them in, in recipes like the one pot meals. So they all carry flavor. They all carry nutrition. Um, sweet, I happen to be a big fan of sweet potatoes, an underappreciated vegetable, which is super nutritious. You know, if you, you could live... In fact, the Okinawans, which is one of Dan Buettner's um, uh, 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 Blue Zone countries, uh, an island off the coast of Japan, which uh, is the first one he identified as a Blue Zone, which he can actually document longevity of the, number, the percentage of centenarians uh, in the culture. And, and when they were kind of waxing the, the, at the, the elders of the, of the Okinawan culture, ate 70% of their calories from the sweet potatoes. They were basically eating sweet potatoes and uh, a little bit of tofu and not as much rice as you might think. 
and lots of vegetables from their gardens. And the sweet potatoes, over 70% of their calories, they were living on sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes have just about every possible nutrient you can need to support life. It's an incredible food. Also, uh, in, in Papua New Guinea, which uh, no recorded heart disease in these highlanders in Papua New Guinea. They're just heart disease-free. What's the main food they're eating? Sweet potatoes. So sweet potatoes are so delicious and so nutritious. And unlike, you know, they're, it's kind of funny because they're called sweet potatoes and they taste sweet, but they, they have very positive effects on your blood sugar. So you don't get this big blood sugar rush when you eat the uh, sweet potatoes. So they actually bring blood sugar down. So... Um, Again, you can take that, you can make Indian spices, you can make Thai, you can make uh, uh, Chinese, Szechuan, the, the number of different ways we can take these whole foods and make them deeply flavorful by combining the ethnic traditions uh, is one of the themes of the book. So what other cultures and histories are you looking at that might be reflected in whole foods that might be kind of unseen but are inherently and intrinsically part of what whole foods tries to do? Well, uh, so the biggest impacts, I mean, if you look, it's a very good question. And so you've got sort of the influences, you have the Mediterranean influence. So you're going to have, which is a very healthy cuisine that's centered around fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, the funny thing is that we know that's a very healthy diet. And yet Americans picked up on just two of the things, (laughs) which was olive oil and red wine. Yep. And so they added olive oil. The whole idea was to stop eating butter and cheese and do substitute olive oil, and you'd be eating a healthier diet. But they just sort of poured the oil on top of everything else. And then red wine, which would be a complement to the meal. You might say they were healthy not because of it, but uh, uh, because of the conviviality that goes along with it. So you have Mediterranean influences. The, one of the great... Uh, Cuisine, so to speak, from a flavor profile, or is uh, is Indian. It's the um, I'm personally right now super into Indian cooking. I have found once you get the spices down, I mean a lot of traditional Indian cooking now has gotten loaded down with oil and salt, but it's the spices that make Indian food so great. So once you get the spice combinations down, then almost any food that you'd make traditionally, you can make it in an Indian way. You can add a little coconut to it if you want to make it a little bit more richly flavored as well. Then you have a, a huge Chinese influence. I mean, Chinese is in itself has a number of different uh, types of. Uh, you, you know, you've got uh, Szechuan, and you've got you've, you, you've got different types of spiciness from different parts of China. Um, Italian in itself is one of the most. Italy has built a whole. Yeah empire basically on how great Italian food tastes. And wherever you go in the world, you can generally find a really delicious Italian food. And then you now you've got this cuisine coming up from Mexico and South America. Uh, each of these cuisines is blending in now, and Whole Foods is trying to honor all of them. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, even America itself has, it doesn't have the history or the depth of these cuisines, but we do have, we have our Southern cooking uh, we've got a New England style of cooking, which you probably grew up on. There's a, a cuisine from Texas, but it's maybe not the healthiest. But <laughs> you know, lots of uh, lots of barbecue and, and a lot of beef. And so, these rich cuisines from around the world are um, they're just becoming available to people. And we're now we're we're able to adapt these cuisines and, and combine them in new ways to make food delicious. Wow. 
if we're using whole foods, we can make the whole foods, which is what the key to health is, we can take those vegetables and we can just add them to these new cuisines and uh, a new flavor profiles and new combinations. And we can get both, can have that cake and eat it too. We can have super delicious and super healthy. But that, maybe not cookbook. cake. <laughs> yeah, maybe not cake. Although you can, you know, there are certain healthy cakes you can make actually. If you just can cut the sugar out and you do other types of uh, uh, lower sweeteners. Yeah, uh, and there is that in this book. And I, I wonder, you know, Whole Foods started when I was born, etc. Um, what has changed in your life? What was, you know, something that you ate in Europe bringing in Houston um, that you now see has changed as a direct effect from Whole Foods, something that you have started? I'm not sure I understand the question. I mean, how am I eating differently? Or, or, or how, or how Houston something, something is... Something Houston ate? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think the best example is America's been... The junk food of America, you know, it's been hamburgers. And now there's like, there's such a diversity, like Whole Foods is partnered with a company called Next Level Burger. We've got in six of our stores now, which is a, it's a basically a vegan burger joint. And they've got 11 different kinds of plant burgers that they're selling. And I think they're all really super delicious. So you're taking a traditional American food that, and you and look at the success of uh, uh, Beyond uh, Meat or the Impossible Burger. So these, these kind of... Um, non-meat burgers are that's kind of it doesn't get any more american than hamburgers and yet we are we have a a greek burger i mean so we've got a a a burger with a greek heritage that's vegan and that's one of our recipes in the cookbook that has a, a dill hummus in it so uh, I would say I grew up eating a lot of burgers, and so I'm still eating burgers, but they're not meat burgers. Yeah. They're vegan burgers, and they're delicious. They're far more delicious than the burgers I used to eat. It, we had briefly touched on the idea of, you know, pizza party, taco Tuesdays, yeah. and you have these in the book as yeah. well, uh, plant-powered lasagna uh, for pasta night. Um, how important is it to define these kind of nights to not only convivially bring people together, but so they can episodically do these things from week to week. So it's not just a, a flash in the pan that they use your cookbook once and never again. Well, I think that's a great question. But I, I, I will say that I myself have taco parties and pizza parties because it's, it's fun and people are able to customize their, uh, their meal. You can have different kinds of pizzas. You can do gluten-free pizzas. You can have pizzas that are uh, 100% plant-based, or you can have some cheese on it. I mean, pizza is one that so allows for such diversity that everybody can get what they want. Same thing with uh, tacos, because you can just there's so many different combinations you can do for tacos when people come over, and those are fun. And uh, people sit around and they're chatting and they're talking and they're laughing and they're they're drinking some beer, they're drinking some wine, or they're drinking some cider like you are, and they're having a blast. So I think those are good fun ways to introduce healthy food to people. Now, let's just do a quick walkthrough of Whole Foods Market and talk about the ingredients that are on the shelves. Um, What do you introduce in this book or what do you promote in this book that you think should be utilized in the home kitchen that maybe isn't flying off your shelves? And it's not just to move a product that you're hoping to sell more of, but you're hoping people embrace and and not only gives food flavor, but also is is a wonderful think piece. Well, that's a great question. Um, one thing we do in the again in the book is we teach people. Remember, how I talked about in the early days we were doing twenty percent of our sales in bulk foods, and now we're doing like two percent. 
and a lot of that 2% is candy as opposed to whole grains and beans. Most people are not, they don't know how to cook these foods. And we, in the cookbook, we teach people how to cook those foods. And there is such interesting different kinds of diversity in, the, in those, so many different kinds of interesting grains, so many different kinds of interesting beans. Uh, and, uh, and then I also think, so those, those are not, so they're sitting around way too much. They should be selling like crazy because they're so inexpensive. People complain about food prices. Oh, it's hard and expensive to eat healthy. Actually, it's actually less expensive to eat healthy if you will cook, if you will take the time to learn how to cook. And these foods are not difficult to cook. They're actually easy to cook. They're the easiest foods in the world to cook. Uh, and they're easy, nutritious foods to cook and make taste delicious just by knowing a little bit about. And I think... I think the other thing that take away in the book is that the spices that people use, the fresh herbs that people use, we have sections on what Chad and Derek are calling flavor bombs, how you can take things like garlic and roast it and mash it and turn it into a flavor bomb that you can add to things or, or doing the same thing with onions or shallots and, and also the making special sauces that we have in the book. These, are, these sauces, I mean, a typical meal that my wife and I will eat at night, for example, when we're pressed for time, we do have a, a steam oven, which is the tool that I'm next to my Vitamix I, mm-hmm. and my knives. I love most in my kitchen because if you make a delicious nut sauce or some kind of sauce, like one of the ones we have in the book, and you just steam up some veggies and you can either steam or bake up a, a potato or a sweet potato. It's so simple to make. You make it in just a few minutes and it's so delicious. You yeah. get a diversity of vegetables. You get a delicious sauce on it. It's, I feel like the same as dressings. The yeah. sauces and marinades are very democratizing. And you have that jalapeno, cashew, yeah. uh, sour cream. But there's a spicy barbecue tahini and almond chili. and it, Spicy barbecue tahini. Think about that for a minute. I talk about the cuisines merging. What's tahini? Tahini is a sesame seed paste that comes from the Middle East. And then what have we added to that? A barbecue? I mean, that's never, there was no barbecue tahini sauces in the world, you know, until probably in the last 20 years. That's like a, a new combination, a new, a child of great of cuisines that have made it and had children. Then what other singular ingredients around the world are you hoping to be able to siphon through Whole Foods into people's home kitchens? I mean, the fun thing is, is that, and, and that, there are so many fascinating – when I travel, you probably do the same thing. I mostly travel around and look at food stores and look at uh, farmer's markets and look at food halls because I'm so fascinated by these different cuisines and uh, what kind of fruits and vegetables may, uh, may show up on our shelves that will catch on. I mean, uh, I mean, nobody was eating kale 10 or 15 years ago, and now – Kale, I think partly due to Whole Foods, has become a, 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 almost a superfood. Cauliflower is another food that people never bought cauliflower, and now there's so many interesting ways to cook cauliflower. Mashed cauliflower, um, uh, buffalo cauliflower wings. Uh, we have a great recipe for cooking whole cauliflower, cauliflower halves in there. So uh, there are all kinds of fruits and vegetables that are in other parts of the world that haven't come over here yet and I hope Whole Foods will do something to help move some of those foods into the, into the things that 20 years from now people will be saying, you mean people didn't used to eat that? That's, that's a really good food. Um, I love how this book is a guide in a way that 
I don't know if you still publish the unacceptable uh, food ingredients list. We um, do. It's still on our website. Yeah. Th- this is kind of like the acceptable food ingredient list. Yeah. Because there is point. nothing in here that you wouldn't welcome into your kitchen or, you know, suggest to another person's kitchen. It's true. Uh, I, I think maybe in Whole Foods' early days, we were focused a little bit too much on what you shouldn't eat. And that's kind of a downer. Instead, we're now promoting things that are, are good for you and taste really delicious and that are, that are things that are the, the – there is such a diversity. There, there's such a diversity and a huge amount of super healthy foods in the world, and we have access to almost all of them today. This is – again, there's never been a better time to be an eater on this planet in an advanced country like the United States because pretty much – just like you can download – Almost any book in the world, you can get almost any book in the world from Amazon. You can download it instantaneously and read it. Uh, never has there been so much knowledge available to humans. And you can Google anything. You can find out almost anything. There's never been this type of selection of food available for people from around the whole world. And increasingly, people are – our palates are rapidly evolving in these very interesting ways. I, I just think it's a great time to be an eater. Yeah, or a cookbook reader or a supermarket shopper. Yeah. And uh, thank you for both of those facets. Thanks. I'm a cookbook reader myself, Michael. I just, I sometimes will just get a cookbook and on the plane. That's what I'll do for a couple hours and think, I'm going to make this one. I'm going to make this one. We'll do a little cookbook trade then. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much, John, for being on. And you should go out and buy the new Whole Foods cookbook today. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.